1: Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today I'm hosting Dr. Robert Thurman. He's retired professor of Indo-Tibetan Buddhist studies from Columbia University and president and co-founder of Tibet House U.S. and Menla. He's been a close friend of the Dalai Lama's for over 50 years and his newest book is Wisdom is Bliss, Four Friendly Fun Facts That Can Change Your Life. I'm speaking with Dr. Robert Thurman at his home by Remote Connection. Welcome, Dr. Thurman, and may I call you Bob?
2: Yes, thank you, uh, Justine. My pleasure.
1: You've been studying Buddhism and immersed in Buddhism for a long time, but you talk about how Buddhism is not a religion, but it's more of a philosophy or a reality check on what's going on in the world today.
2: Sure. Well, it's not that it's not a religion in the sense that there are those who follow Buddhism uh, thinking that it's good for some people to do the educational process that it basically teaches. And so they support the faculty and they support the institutions. And to them, it's a religion. We can't say it is not a religion. But and then maybe some who get over religionizing it and they get to think that just believing in Buddha will save them or something like that, which would annoy Buddha in the sense that he said that was not how to do it. (laughs) And uh, even if they follow Amitabha Buddha, there's a Buddha who has a certain celestial special place where you can go and uh, like a heavenly type place. And even if they go there, then they have to learn and do the study and, and figure out nature of freedom and reality themselves. Even in that place, it isn't like going to some heaven is where you're going. Nirvana is a state of understanding the whole of reality, not just the heaven. And that makes it an educational process, basically. So what my statement is not that it's not a religion for some, but for those who really want to use it to open their mind, to improve their lives, and to really gain the ultimate improvement, which is to become enlightened, awakened and enlightened. Then for them, it's a curriculum. And it's a curriculum based on very cheery. It's like a really cheery school. It's like the kind of school when you just get in, you know you can't flunk out. It's probably possible since you're free, you could try and flunk out, but you can't really because basically it is based on the Buddha's discovery of a reality that made him really happy for all his problems he had had before. And he decided that he realized that reality itself is the bliss. And knowing it is, is to merge with it and to be it. And so you, you can only know it by being it. You don't know it by being able to say it or something, to have a formula about it. You know it by opening your up your heart so much, your mind and heart so much that you are it. You know, the great Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, Zen master, he has a wonderful thing he calls interbeing. So you, you open up so much that you interbee with it, which I think is a really fun way of expressing it. Although even that is not a dogma. It's just another way of coming at it at another angle. And so the whole point is it's a curriculum. And it's a curriculum in the context that you already are where you're going. It's already perfect right now. And you realize that Buddha went on the brink of hesitating that nirvana. He simultaneously realized he'd always been there. You know that kind of thing, uh, Justine, when you learn something that you, once you know it, you realize it, that intuitively you knew it before, but you didn't pay attention to your intuition. So it's like, I always knew that. I already knew that. It's a fresh thing, and yet it's something that you realize you already knew. So the ultimate one of those is the realization of freedom, of nirvana, freedom from suffering and nirvana. You realize, oh, wow, I've always been free. Freedom is the overwhelming constant reality, the uncreated. It didn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an ending. It's just the way things are. So that means that underlying everything, if I go unconscious, if I let it all go, if I am overwhelmed in some way, if even if I die, then that reality is ready to embrace me bliss, not nothing. I can't become nothing because nothing is nothing. So there's no there for me to be nothing, (laughs) but I will be just bliss. And if if I'm open to such bliss, then I'll just enjoy it. And I won't even be pressed to hop back and get on the A train again. On the other hand, if I fully really embrace it, I will see my friends still caught on the A train And I will pop back in some form to help them. And I realize that a lot of beings are my friends. I love them all. Because being one with reality, you do love them. Reality loves them all already. So everyone wants to be loved. Everyone is beloved. If they want to think it's God, okay. If they want to think it's a goddess, okay. If they want to think it's Mother Earth, okay. Whatever they want to think, they're not wrong. But if they think, oh, The one that loves me that I think loves me is the only one that loves anybody, and I don't love anybody else. No, that's a wrong interpretation. Maybe I think one of them loves me, but somebody else is loving somebody else, you know, and that one loves everybody else, whether they acknowledge it or not. That's very, very key to avoid, you know, religious conflict or competition or things like that. So that's why the curriculum, the educational curriculum of the Eightfold Path, that Buddha left us is open to anyone. They don't have to become a religious Buddhist to use it. They can use it with any kind of a positive outlook on life, and they can develop their intelligence, they can develop their emotions, and they can develop their ethics and their body and their way of living, and um, their livelihood even. They can improve that. Uh, making it non-harmful to others and therefore very satisfying. Their emotions, they can heighten their love and compassion and altruism, which will make them happy. If they love other people, they'll feel happy. You know, dancing in the rain, you know, singing in the rain. When you you love someone else, that doesn't necessarily help them, (laughs) but you become very, very happy right away. And then when you're happy, you will effectively be a benefit to others. You know, uh, because, you know, you're always good at something when you really enjoy it, as you know. So that's basically what I try to convey by saying and encourage everyone to use their common sense, to develop their critical wisdom, to educate themselves about their own true nature and the true nature of the world and be a scientist themselves. Don't just say, oh, I'm not a highly elite scientist. I don't know the mathematical formula. Oh, dear, I'll never understand. I'll have to believe whatever they say, that you should never do that. Be very critical. Ask that doctor a question. Ask that scientist a question. Well, why do you say that? What's the nature of this? You know, And then you will learn more and more. And the more you learn, finally, you'll get to the point where you realize you always knew. And you had that happiness inside you. It's there. We all have it. That newborn baby, you know, look at it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Bob, you know, you have really highlighted, especially in this book and your other works, the Eightfold Path. And this is like the Buddha gave us a full curriculum. That's right. I mean, a huge university that is enfolded in the Eightfold Path.
2: Exactly. Liberating Art University. I used to write essays when I was teaching in colleges about liberal arts and liberating arts. And that's why I was actually very happy teaching in academia. One good thing about academia is you're not supposed to propagandize. You're supposed to teach everything critically and let people make their choices, you know, and have more discussion and let the students speak and not just give them some dogmas they're supposed to just follow, you know? And I always adhere to that very strictly. And it was very liberating. And I learned a lot more myself than if I would, but like a parrot just sitting repeating some dogmas. You know. Education is really wonderful. And it, even the Latin word educare has the same meaning Buddha's meaning. Meaning educare means to lead someone and uh, lead something, and a e means out of. So educare means that you lead the wisdom out of the other person's mind, which is at the core of their mind and their intelligence. Their wisdom is intelligence, you know. Some of us may wrongly think wisdom is resignation, sort of giving up. uh, You know, uh, well, it'll just be the way it is. There's nothing I can do about it. I just have to bear it. You know, no, you know, everything is the way it is in an unreal sense, and it can be improved toward reality. And the the way things are in reality, deep reality, is bliss, freedom, indivisible, and it's really great. And that means. In your bliss and your freedom, you could choose in the cafe here to have a decaf.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Bob, you know, you have been a professor, a teacher for many, many decades. And I'm just curious, how have you learned from your students? Oh, tremendously. I
2: can't tell you how much I've learned from them. You know, I do lecture and talk a lot. It's true, but I i have a kind of way I get into a zone and I never just read something. I, I might have a bit in the early years of teaching. I talked for about 50 years and uh, formally for 47 or eight years, but um, really for 50 since I was a graduate student. And, uh, you know, I might have read something at the beginning, but after a while, I couldn't bear just to read something written in another context, and I would feel the way the students were, and I would challenge them. And of course, the best things are to have a seminar of only a smaller number, but on the other hand, there is a usefulness of speaking with hundreds and uh, telling them at the beginning of the thing, well, I'm going to talk a lot, but you know, really, it is a conversation, and the best definition I ever heard of conversation is... A High Level of Mutual Interruptibility. (laughs) From the Media Lab at MIT, a guy named Nick Negroponte, he gave that in a book he wrote. And I really love that because it's a dialogue, you know, everything is a dialogue. And I may have gas-bagged, as one of my students might have called it, too much now and then. But usually I was engaged with the students and I was doing it, it was immediate in the zone of the dialogue with them. And now and then brave ones really talked up and we really debated through things. And only then do you really learn when you're having to explain it again and again, according to someone else's angle of perception. And then you see it from their perception and then you see it better, which is why the great enlightening teachers in history, like Socrates, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, they tend to dialogue with people, you know. Uh, Yeah, Muhammad channeled God, or Gabriel, the angel Gabriel. I think it's really wrong to say it was God. It was an angel, Gabriel. He channeled him in a certain context. But more important in Islam are the Hadith, what they call the Hadith, where he talked with people and engaged with them and made decisions about things that had cropped up in their lives and thinking and with their spirituality and also with their practical things. And that was even more important. So... All the great teachers have been like that because they were at the service of the people. They were not owning the people the way the organized religions tend to pretend that the founders kind of own you and you have to just obey them and they gave you orders. No, they gave you opportunities actually and they engaged with you in their lives. And whatever record we have, which is always very imperfect, transmitted over thousands of years in various changeable texts and changeable memories, but still, it's somehow real, it's still there. Uh, we see them engaged in serving people because the enlightened person is the servant of the student, or the one, or the, even in academia, the professor who may not be enlightened. In fact, in, in American universities, the professor is supposed to be professionally unenlightened. <laughs> they just have degrees. They don't believe in enlightenment, <laughs> they just believe in arming yourself with a good chemistry 105 but you can't be enlightened about chemicals, you know, they think.
1: Well, I'd like to insert something here. In my experience, when I have been deeply listened to, like if I'm speaking something from my experience, yeah, and somebody is truly, truly deeply receiving me, yeah, I find that there is... I would describe it as an alchemical change in me.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: My worldview gets expanded in some way because of that deep listening.
2: Absolutely. You know, in talking to people about my book, Wisdom is Bliss, I learned already one huge new thing, I think, which will unpack very, very fruitfully, I believe. And that is dark matter and dark energy you know, the physicists in their desperation to keep what they call their standard model of the universe alive, the material universe, they realize there must be 97%. If you divide three into 97, it goes 32 and a third times. So there must be an amount of matter and energy 32 and a third times more than that that they've studied because they haven't seen this stuff yet, because <laughs> it's dark. And, and so that means a huge kind of uncertainty, but without it, the part that they see and they've been studying and have formulas about to try to describe would all fly apart and their whole model would collapse. So what I have realized is in, 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 in Buddha's scientific discovery of freedom or emptiness, which means freedom from any fake absolutes, imposed and projected absolutes. And therefore, the the absoluteness of relativity, actually, is what it is a discovery of, actually. In fact, it's not discovery of a seeming nothingness at all. And because he he, he was smart enough to realize that nothing is nothing, so you can't discover it. (laughs) And, And that's a really big thing for them. And it's very good that they did it. And I believe it was a woman physicist in England who came up with that as a way to save their game of the 3% that they were messing around with with their black holes and their old thing. But I realized that there's another invisible thing that is not dark. And that is something that is transparent and clear light, the clear light of freedom, the clear light of the void, the clear light of reality is an infinite energy but we can come to figure out and open ourselves to the possibility that we are it and it is us. And therefore everything is totally copacetic. <laughs> it's totally wonderful. It's totally fine already.
1: That even with all the news that of suffering, there is something underneath that or something that encompasses all of that, which is good and right and
2: And loving, loving in the sense of it has whatever the beloved needs.
1: And we are all the beloved, all of us. There you go. And so we're going to have to end on that channeling the love for others and being in this really friendly universe. Yes. So I'd like to thank you so much. I've been speaking with Dr. Robert Thurman, author of Wisdom is Bliss, Four Friendly Fun Facts That Can Change Your Life. And to find out more about his work and his writings, you can go to tibethouse.us, tibethouse.us, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please, do join us again.
0: You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member,